This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. The question I have posed for us this morning, why do you have hope? It's a very personal question that we all should be able to answer and I appreciate all the prayers on my behalf and I hope that the things we look over this morning will help you answer this question. It's a, a question as we'll see here in a moment in the scripture that, that we should all be ready to, to answer and we may not have a, I can't give you a word for word answer that you might tell somebody if they ask why do you hope but the principles that we give for our hope are all going to be the same. Our First scripture this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As Christians, we don't have to answer every single question about the Bible. We're not told that. In fact, some, we know that there's some questions, foolish and unlearned questions, that we'd better off, be better off not answering. But this, if somebody asks us about our hope, we can see here, be ready always to give an answer to that question. So that's why I bring this study up this morning, because we better be ready to answer this question. And I ask you, are you ready to answer that question this morning? If somebody hits you with that question right now, are you ready to answer that? You know, I think... I am probably at this point, but only because I've, I've put time to study it out over the last uh, couple or two or three weeks, you know, step back a few weeks, I probably would stumble around with that. So we can all, should all have this on our mind and be ready always to give an answer when somebody asks you, why do you have hope? Because hope is what inspires others and we're supposed to inspire others to follow God. And if we are not inspiring or we can't answer that question, you know, we may lead someone astray. When we look at the word hope, well, what is hope? If you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, in the Hebrew it's translated from words that mean things that we look forward to or things longed for. And in the New Testament, the Greek is uh, elpis, which means to anticipate with pleasure. So when we hope for something, we long for it, we anticipate it. Uh, we look forward to what we want it. And we certainly as Christians look forward to heaven. We long for a place better than this earth. Titus chapter 1 and 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That is what we, have Christ we as Christians have hope in. Hope of eternal life. And it's not just a hope. Like some may think about hope and say, well... I hope I get to heaven. You know, I really do hope that. Boy, I sure hope I get there. That's not at all how our hope is. It's not just it might happen. It is an assured hope because God that cannot lie, he promised us eternal life. And that's why we have hope. And we know that people, maybe us included, we get caught up in hoping, putting hopes in things other than God. That's certainly what the world does. Whether that's a person, maybe it's a, an athlete, a politician, maybe it's hopes of becoming famous or getting rich, 
whatever, all these things of the earth, even if that hope is realized, they're only temporary and they're not guaranteed by any uh, stretch of the imagination. People have hopes and things that provide no everlasting benefit. And that's what differentiates our hope than the, hope, the hopes of other things. It is promised from God and is hope of an eternal life. You see a lot of hope. There's a lot of these talent shows that are on TV. American Idol was probably the one that started that. How many years has this thing been going on? Year after year, we see just droves of people as they go out for the initial auditions, just lines of people hoping that they become the best singer in America. And you see these people, many of which in those opening rounds go in with false hope. You know, their family, their loved ones has built them up. You're the best singer out there. You're going you're gonna to be the winner of this thing. And they get in there and they just get humiliated. Like they really can't carry a tune. And I would put myself in that category. If you guys said you're the best, you can win that thing. And I went into that audition, you know, it would be an embarrassment. God never gives us false hope. You know, we never have to worry about that with God. God, the hope we have in God, we, as we see here, he cannot lie. He's not going to build us up falsely. And one thing that hope does for us is it gives us a positive attitude because there's so much, we're like swimming in an ocean of negativity. But if we have hope, we're able to maintain a positive attitude. As we can see in Psalms 146 and 5, we read, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And when someone is hopeless, I think we can kind of see that in their demeanor. You know, and that's something that I certainly work at because you probably know I'm not exactly a ray of sunshine a lot of times. And I need to work on that because, again, I need to be inspiring people in the gospel. I need to be sh showing people this is why I have hope. And as we read here, happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We should be happy. You know the children's song that says, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. And how true that is. Do people look at us would somebody be more likely to look at us and say, why are you so negative? Or would they be more likely to say, why do you have so much hope? If there's one group of people that know how to, how to capitalize on hope, it's our politicians. We see this, we just went through an election cycle. They understand that people need hope. We need hope. And they kind of take advantage of that. Now, before I put this next slide up here, I'll just give you a disclaimer. If you're faint of heart, you have difficulty breathing, you might want to close your eyes. Because right here, we have a couple of famous campaign posters. On the left, we have Obama's poster that explicitly says hope. And we have Donald Trump's Make America Great Again. I may be the only one that will ever tell you these have a lot, of, a lot in common, at least in the context of our study this morning. Because... While one poster specifically says hope, the other one has that message of hope. And politicians, not just these two men, but they present that message. Put your hope in me enough that you vote for me in the next four years of your life. 
and maybe beyond the direction of the country, put your hope in me, and things are going to get better. And politicians know how to, to, to use that. And it's not just the messages that were successful, because you can't deny that these were successful. Both of these men were elected president. But it wasn't just that message. It was the man that took the, these messages and went out and was believable. You know, when Barack Obama stood before the crowds, they were chanting, yes, we can, yes, we can. What if they were just saying, eh, maybe. You know, he was believable in that. And same thing for Trump. You know, he would say things like, we're going to win so much, you're going to be tired of winning. And what if he would have just said, well, maybe we'll win some. You know, they were believable. And we know, you know, they're polar opposites. I'm not making the argument that the politics behind these couldn't be farther apart, but the basic message that these politicians give is, put your hope in me. And as we go campaign for the gospel, are we believable? Because we have a, a message far greater than this stuff. We have the real message. Put your hopes in this message. But oftentimes we can put ourselves in the way of that by just, have, just not presenting it in an inspiring way where people look at us and say, well, that guy looks hopeless. I'm not going to listen to that message. We have to be an inspiration to others. And we should be, as we read these things about why we have hope, we should be able to be an inspiration to others. As we'll see, hope is a gift. It's one of the great, three great gifts that God gives us. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, we read, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And we know that as we've studied many times, love is the greatest gift. But we can't forget these other two gifts because they are certainly great gifts, hope and faith. We have hope, longing for, looking for, and forward to an eternity with God, longing for heaven. Faith, believing in God, trusting in God enough that we actually follow what he tells us to do, and knowing that that hope is going to become a reality. And then, of course, charity, which is the greatest gift because it's all done in love. God is love. We should have love, love for God and love for our fellow man. The Christian needs all three of these. Now, the, the two, faith and hope, those, it's kind of hard to separate those. I, as I thought through these three gifts, faith and hope really just go hand in hand. And from what I can tell, is that you can have faith, you can have hope without faith, but it would be hard to have uh, faith without having hope. For example, many people hope to get to heaven. How many people in our world hope to get to heaven? You know, there are not many people that you would ask, do you hope to go to hell? That, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of people that really genuinely hope that. Most people hope of something better for eternity. But the same people, they may not ever do a single thing out of faith. You can have hope without having faith. And simply believing in God, which so many people do, they just, I believe in God and that's enough, that describes a hopeful person. That is not a faithful person. We know that true faith is alive. God tells us that faith without works is dead. 
And you could go, you could live a, a long life, you could go 90 plus years and not do a single thing out of faith in your life. And you could lay on your deathbed and you could have hope, hope that I'm going to be with God for eternity. You can have that hope without any faith, but it might, it would be a false hope. On the other hand, I think it's a given. If you live out a faithful life, I don't see how you could be faithful and not have hope because if you're faithful, you know what lies ahead. You're going to have that hope. James chapter 2 and verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And I kind of look at this and, and see, you know, if you're going to proclaim, I believe in God. Well, whoop-de-doo. You know, as we see here, the devils also believe and tremble. You know, so what? Or, you know, Satan himself believes in God. So a faithful believer is one who believes in God enough to live for God. And so as we try to answer the question, why do you have hope? We probably would not want to tell somebody, I have hope because I believe in God. That may be part of that answer, but that would not be, to me, would not be a sufficient answer to say, I have hope because I believe there's a God. Because in Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. You see what I did there? I left out of them that diligently seek him. Because the world probably wants to end that verse there that God exists and he is going to reward me. But of them that diligently seek him. And it's that diligence that really separates the faithful from the unfaithful. First verse of that same chapter, Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith makes hope real. And we know that our hopes are going to be reality in eternity. Romans 8, 24 and 25. Romans 8, chapter 24 and 25. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. It would make no sense if I say, I hope to see you guys this morning. Well, no, we're, we're here. I see you. That doesn't make any sense. And I think that's what the point is, is here. We don't hope for the things we see. We hope for the things that we see with an eye of faith, the things that we know are ahead. And, and as verse 25 says, we with patience wait for it. And that hope depends on faith. Faith that we know that this hope is going to be realized, that we truly believe it. First Peter chapter three, or First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, 
who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God has given us a lively hope, again, an inspiring hope, one that has evidence that it exists. Christ conquered death, and that's why we have this hope, his death, burial, and resurrection. We know because of that we have a place, it says there in verse 4, reserved in heaven for you. Again, God does not lie. We have the assurance that that's what lies ahead for us. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And so, first of all, we have another verse here with those three gifts, faith, hope, and love, all listed together. And here, they're described as armor. And I found it very interesting because as I think about protecting myself, even spiritually, I would not have really, my first thought would not have been that hope is part of that armor or a key component, but it's not only part of the armor, it's the helmet. And if you're going into battle or sports or whatever, where there's danger, you're going to want your head protected. If there's anything you want protected, it's, it's your head. And so to me, that's curious. Why is hope considered the helmet? Well, Satan is coming at us with everything he's got. Constant temptations, false doctrine, lies. Probably still on our mind from last Lord's Day when we looked at the lying, the trying the spirits and the lying spirits. These things are all around us and Satan is just trying to, to beat these things in our head. And so when we think about this illustration of armor, when Satan, he may do us some damage and that's why we have the other armor, but if he gets in our mind, if he infiltrates our mind, where are we going to, you know, where do we end up with that? And I think that's why we're told the hope of salvation is the helmet, because when you have that hope and your mind is looking for, the, for eternity, that everything else, you know, falls into place. The direction you're going to be taken is in the right way, and Satan is not going to be in our, our head. You know, if you take the best football player, not one of these guys, no matter how tough they are, is going to say, I'm going to play the, the whole season without a helmet because I'm that tough. No. But when we don't have the hope on our head as Christians, it's like spiritually, it's like we're telling the world, I'm just going to go out here, I'm going to live the rest of my life without hope, without the protection. We've probably heard the expression, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and that's really just an illustration of hope. You may be in darkness, but up ahead, you can see that light up ahead. It means that you believe there is, you see a way out of darkness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Wherein ye rejoice, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, 
whom having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. As was said at the start of our service, we're going to experience pain, sadness, other trials in life. That's a given. Nobody's going to go through life without some kind of trouble. But it takes hope to see past those trials and temptations. It takes hope to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that, that's our, it, that centers around our mindset. And it's back to that illustration of having the helmet on as you go through life, that nothing is going to infiltrate this. Think about running a race. I know that's been on a lot of minds in this building as... As you run a race, you know, you start that race out, probably not too difficult, but as you get to some point in that race, it becomes a little tough. And then you may start questioning, why am I doing this? Or I'm not going to be able to finish this race. And the parallel there to our Christian race is like the devil is throwing those temptations at you. You can't do it. Why are you even doing it? Is it not worth it? Without that helmet on of hope, you may be halfway through that race and you can't see the finish line in your sight, but you know through an eye of faith it's right around the corner. And that's a parallel we have in life. It's right around the corner through an eye of faith we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. When you come in, and as a, a runner, when you come to the end of life, when you do turn that corner, and you see the finish line up there, nothing's taking that helmet off at that point. And the lesson there is when you need hope the most is when you're at your weakest. And that's when we're often tempted to take the helmet off. When we're at our weakest, that's when we need hope the most. We have got to always remember that the return of the Lord is very near. And we rejoice in hope, as we're told here. We, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable. We can't even describe it. This joy is so great. And full of glory. Whom having not seen you love, we haven't physically seen Jesus, but we can see him through the eye of faith. And there in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's hope. Oftentimes just a poor attitude prevents us from, from hope and sadly a poor attitude can lead others astray as well I want to notice two very different attitudes first of all a bad attitude by the people of God Jeremiah 18 verses 10 through 12 and this is God speaking about or speaking to his people here it says in Jeremiah 18 starting in verse 10 if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them <laughs> Now therefore go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Even at this point, whatever wickedness they had done, he even at this point still gives them a chance. He's telling them, turn from these things. Or... You've got doom to look forward to. And what did they say? And I can just picture the world today saying this very thing. They said, there is no hope. 
but we will walk after our own devices, and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. That is the world we live in today. We're going to do whatever we want, God. There's no hope. And how much does the world need hope? Because so much of the, the wickedness that goes on is just a lack of hope. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, this is the flip side of that. This is the a good attitude that we should have. 1 John 3, starting in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has shown upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure, or even as Christ is pure. So two extremely different attitudes there, and hopefully this is our attitude here, that we are the sons of God. You have made, God, you have made us children of God, and I know what lies ahead. And then we had in that other example, there's no hope, we're going to do whatever we want. Hope leads us to, to make our life better, purify ourselves, it says here. The amount of effort we put into that, the amount of effort you put into so many things depends upon hope. Again, I'll give another example of running. Let's say that a company, let's say Walmart comes in and they say, hey, we're going to take just the local area and we're going to host a 5K event. And we're going to divide all these age categories in the top 25 finishers in every age category. We're going to give you free groceries for life. All you got to do is finish in the top 25. We're going to be pretty hopeful. Like, I'm going to start training because, man, all I got to do is local area people. I just got to place in the top 25. You start training, and then a few weeks later, they say, oh, we're going to. To make it more interesting though, we're gonna call in for each of those age categories. We're gonna bring in the top 25 ranked runners in each of those categories. And then what happens to your hope? It just, you know, your hope was gone because now you're competing. You know, the chances just went out the window. Aren't we fortunate that God never changes the terms? He gives us the, this brilliant hope Trust in me and I'm going to provide you, we, I can't, you can't even properly speak on the blessings that await you. Just follow my plan. He doesn't ever pull the rug out on us. We never have to worry about God changing the terms. And we put our hopes because of that, because we know that goal is obtainable. We know that hope will be realized and so we put all of our hope in it. James 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So again, we know that the crown of life is not only obtainable, it is promised to those that love God. You can, another illustration of hope is in athletics, in particular the Olympics. When the hope of success, when an athlete feels like 
they're in the race or they're in the running, you see the hope is there. You see it in the way they act. You take like a, gym, a gymnast, for example. Maybe they're going for the all-around gold medal. They're to the last event, the balance beam. All they got to do is nail this competition, and as they get going, they're doing all right. Then, then they, they stumble, they fall off the balance beam. You can see just the energy in the room, the person, you know, the hope. What happened to hope? Hope's gone. All that work, it's gone. The rest of, they get back up and they finish it, but the hope is gone. The, you know, the rest of the performance is flat. On the flip side, when things are working, it's just working. The hope is there. They go on, they win the gold medal. For Christians, the victory is at hand, and hopefully as we go through life, we know that we're in the running and we're going to obtain this promised crown of life. And what a blessing that will be. You know, we talk about the helmet of hope. When we take the helmet of hope and exchange it for the promised crown of life, Hebrews 6, verses 17 through 19. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. God wanted to prove that his promise would not be broken, so he confirmed it by an oath. And I'll tell you, there's not much more we could trust in than an oath from God. I mean, that's as, as uh, concrete as it gets right there. Hope is an anchor for our soul, so it's... You know, we already described it as a helmet. It protects our head, but it's also an anchor for our soul that keeps us, as you could say, tethered to Christ. It keeps us, you know, from drifting away, drifting away from the promise and guarantee of God. If we let go of hope or, if, you know, just loosen that grip up, we can very easily, Satan will just carry us away. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Very important for us to understand that God loves us enough that no matter how wretched we have been, God loves us enough to save us. But sometimes I think we forget that. It's not by works of righteousness, nothing we've done to deserve that salvation. 
but it's according to his mercy he saved us. And there at the end of verse 7, the hope of eternal life. That's it's why we had that hope, because we know that God does not want us to fail. He wants to save us. And so we can have hope that, we, that he's going to deliver. Now, you run, there's a story that I've never been able to forget. It was where in the country of Chile, there was a mine that collapsed. And these, it trapped these 33 miners down far below the surface. And I think there's a good parallel then for us in this context of hope. So this was back in 2010, August 5th, 2010. The mine caved in and trapped 33 men 2,300 feet below the surface and three miles from the mine's entrance. So these men are trapped 2,300 feet below the surface and three miles into the mine. It took 69 days before they were fully rescued. It was over two weeks before they had any contact with the outside world, with the world above. As the days went by, they had to wonder, am I ever going to get out of here? You know, it seems unlikely that I'm going to get out of this darkness. But imagine the hope that was given to them when the people at the surface finally made contact with them. The spark of hope, the light at the end of the tunnel was given. Now that rescue effort, it centered around, they made these exploratory uh, boreholes where they would drill down. And if you, it's a pretty amazing account. You look at it, they had outdated maps. You know, they weren't really using very good data. So they were having trouble finding where these men were. But then after, I believe it was 17 days, they finally made contact. And here is a picture that is the president of the country and he's holding this note as they pulled one of those drills back to the surface it had this note taped to the the drill bit it said estamos bien el refugio las 33 which means we are in the shelter the 33 of us and you can see the expression that to me that's hope right there this is the president and he He's, he has hope. My people are safe down there in the darkness. And I can't help to think that there is rejoicing in heaven, especially when a lost sinner comes to Christ. There is rejoicing up above. These people down here are fully dependent upon me, and I have, I have, I'll be bringing them out of darkness. And for the men below, complete darkness, they realize that they're completely dependent on those above to save them. So with the monumental effort, it cost over $20 million. On October 13, 2010, which is 69 days later, the men were winched to the surface one at a time in a specially built capsule. With few exceptions, they were in good medical condition with no long-term physical effects anticipated. Before each miner was lifted to the surface, they were given a very specific set of vitamins, nutrients, and medicine to prep them for their return to the surface. And I'm sure they were given specific instructions. Hey, this is how it's going to work. When we bring the capsule down, you're going to do this, you know, do this certain thing to get up there. Do you think that any of those men thought, eh, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I'm going to do it my own way. Or, but how foolish are we 
when we down here in this dark world have the written word from God who cares about us and loves us enough, I'm giving you the directions on how to pull you out of this darkness. I mean, it'd be like these miners saying, yeah, I'm going to do it my own, no, my own way. I'm going to tweak it up a little bit. That doesn't make any sense, but that, that's got to be how God sees it when we just try to not do what he tells us. And as those men were lifted up, think about the hope they had. Here's a few pictures of these men. They knew as they got closer and closer to the surface what awaited them, what joy awaited them, and what joy awaits us in heaven as we get closer and closer to eternity in heaven. You know, are we going to let go of that rope of hope as God is pulling us up? Figuratively speaking, are we going to let go of that? Are we going to take the helmet of hope off? Because every day we get closer and closer to heaven. So going back to the initial point, why do we have hope? Hopefully we can answer that a little bit better this morning, uh, or at least our minds hopefully are on that, because God has given us a way to be saved. He gave us his son Jesus who loved us enough to die on the cross. He has promised us eternal life if we have faith and obedience. I'll leave you with two final verses. 1 Timothy 1 and 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We know that there's something else that awaits us ahead. We know we're going to have tough times in this life, but we know the glory that waits on us ahead in eternity. Jesus Christ, he is our hope, and it's not just a hope in this life. It's a hope in eternity. I'll conclude my thought, thoughts there. We have not spoken on the first principles, but... At this time, we'll offer a song of invitation. If, you, if you've studied and you understand baptism and you're ready to take that step, we urge you to do so at this time because we're not guaranteed another moment of life. We have a baptistry right here with water. As the question was asked in the scripture, what hinders me from being baptized? Well, this morning, really, the only hindrance is yourself, and we would urge you don't be a hindrance anymore. If you've already taken that step, and you desire the prayers of the church, this invitation is also for you. If you'd be of either case, you can come and have a front on our uh, front pews and we'll be glad to assist you. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.